Specialty Stories, session number 150. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. If this is your first time listening to Specialty Stories, welcome. If this is not your first time, welcome back. If you're a medical student and you know some pre-med students, I want you to check out MAPD, M-A-P-P-D dot com. Let your pre-med students know all about it. Right now, as we're recording this in the middle of July 2020, MAPT is for pre-order, but it's coming out so soon. MAPPD.com. I've shown it to a lot of medical students, and the most common response is, man, I wish this was available when I was a pre-med student. So go check it out. Even if you are a pre-med student, check it out. MAPPD.com. Today, I have a great guest, Dr. Michael Brummage, a preventive medicine physician, someone who has a very similar background to myself. And uh, we have a great conversation all about preventive medicine. And really, the most important thing for me that I think is is really interesting is how preventive medicine kind of fits into what we're dealing with right now as a world with this pandemic. So we start the conversation with how Dr. Brummage became interested in preventive medicine. Well, my initial interest in preventive medicine came from my time in internal medicine. So I trained originally as an internal medicine physician, having completed medical school, went overseas for a year, studied at the University of Heidelberg in Germany, and then came back to the University of Florida, where I did a three-year internship and residency in internal medicine and really loved internal medicine. And while I was in the military, was introduced to the concept of preventive medicine and Part of it came from a curiosity about preventive medicine, biostatistics, epidemiology, but also working with my patients who had end-stage disease, heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, kidney disease, liver disease, and thinking, what could I do to go upstream to try to make a difference in their lives? And that's why preventive medicine came along in my career just at the right moment where I was curious about preventive medicine and also offered me a skill set that I really didn't have as an internist in terms of biostatistics and epidemiology. Now, it's interesting you you just said uh, go upstream because I just started reading a book called Upstream uh, written oh, really? by Dan Heath. I've read a few of their books. Him and his brother Chip uh, have written several books together. And then this is, I think, his first book by himself. And it's called Upstream. And it's it's literally that concept of like, we're dealing with all these problems. How do we go upstream to like find the source and stop it, right? And fix fix the, the actual issue and not just the symptoms. Well, and I think many physicians have the idea that they want to do something different to impact the lives of their patients. And in this case, I'm impacting hopefully the lives of populations, whether it's a clinical practice population or a community. And that is one of the main things that attracted me about preventive medicine is that it trained physicians to look at the bigger picture, to take a step back and look at things like the social determinants of health. Because I think many people, 
and, and including me as a physician, looked at health through the healthcare lens, working in clinics, uh, working in hospitals, and we see that as healthcare. But when you really take a bigger step back, health is a lot of things other than healthcare. In yeah. fact, our healthcare system is a disease diagnosis and management system, not a health system. So looking at the possibilities of training in a way that I might be able to impact patients' lives in a fundamentally different way and begin to think about deeper issues in medicine was one of the things that drew me really into preventive medicine. And yeah. under the public health 3.0 model, they look at preventive medicine physicians as community health strategists, which I think is a really great way to look at this. So if you're a physician out there who is interested in taking that step back, you don't have to do preventive medicine, yeah. but it is a discipline focused in on that health strategist role. Coming from the internal medicine world and now being in the, the PrevMed world, why is PrevMed not more intertwined with internal medicine, family practice? Why, why isn't it more ingrained into those residency programs? Well, so my residency director at the University of Florida, Craig Kitchens, uh, talked in terms of being lumpers and splitters. <laughs> and so I, I think, you know, if you want to think about um, how we've looked at medicine before in the past, where we have different disciplines to address different, you know, even body parts in medicine, uh, neurology, gastroenterology, and so forth. It's a way that we sort of fragment things to focus on one part of the body, become a specialist in that way. Clearly, family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics are great specialties that would be well intertwined with preventive medicine. Personally, I would like to see more of that go on. But I think that when you, from my own internal medicine training, there was so much focus on making the diagnosis, using the proper diagnostic modalities, the thought process that goes into a diagnosis and treatment that um, we don't think about the sort of bigger picture at that point, because we're so focused in on that individual patient and unraveling the riddle of the diagnosis in that particular person. Yeah. I wish really there would be more of a, a more of an emphasis on preventive medicine and also to offer people in primary care specialties a preventive medicine fellowship rather than a residency because i think many people become curious after they begin to practice about what could i do differently and you but you don't have time to do that a fellowship would be another pathway i think into preventive medicine yeah what traits do you think lead to someone being a good preventive medicine physician Oh, I think just having a curiosity about the world and being able to pick up a newspaper and begin to see the different pieces of the world and how it affects health, how economics affects health, how housing, transportation, all of those things become sort of instrumental in synthesizing an idea about how we can change the health of populations as well as individuals. So I think that just the general curiosity about the world and the ability to kind of take a step back and see the bigger picture for me seems to be a critical skill set to be able to become a successful preventive medicine physician. 
It seems like it, right now, right, we're in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic. It seems like right now there is a huge need for preventive medicine physicians to understand how this lockdown is affecting populations, how uh, the poverty that we're going to come out of this potentially with is going to affect populate populations, how just everything is affecting populations and communities and everything else. How much do you think preventive medicine may help in getting our economy, getting our populations healthy, just restarting everything? Well, I'll start answering that question by telling you a little bit of background about my time in the military, that from 2005 until 2008, I was the chief of preventive medicine at Tripler Army Medical Center in Honolulu, Hawaii, but I wore a couple of other different hats at the time. I was also the public health emergency officer for the Pacific Regional Medical Command, and I was also the public health emergency officer for something called Joint Task Force Homeland Defense. And that included all the US-affiliated Pacific Islands, places that a lot of people have never heard of. I hadn't heard of some of these places before in my life and got to go to all of them multiple times. Places like Republic of the Marshall Islands, Republic of Palau, Federated States of Micronesia, Territory of Guam, Commonwealth of the Northern Marianas, Territory of American Samoa. Um, and, And these were really sort of fascinating places and did pandemic planning. And at the time, the threat was influenza A, H5N1, the bird flu, the highly pathogenic avian influenza that threatened to, by the way, had a very high mortality rate that if it jumped uh, into acquiring the person-to-person spread would have become the next pandemic with much more dire circumstances than what we currently see with COVID. So that background actually helped me to think in a more holistic way about systems of care about disruption of staff and hospital, disruption of food supplies, of supply chains. And so you really begin to acquire this. And and, and that kind of skill set is absolutely needed in this moment. The other aspect, though, of the pandemic, which I think is fascinating and that we're really not thinking about, is that this pandemic has become a great magnifying glass for watching what's happening with other aspects of health. So we see these huge chasms now with inequities of healthcare for people of color, specifically African-American populations. We see that our mental health crisis in the United States is growing. And unfortunately, and here in West Virginia, where I practice, which is maybe the greatest preventive medicine laboratory in the entire world, uh, because of all the different things um, that go on in West Virginia, highest rates of hepatitis B, C in the country. By the way, hepatitis C, the number one infectious killer in the United States, overdose deaths, where West Virginia is still leading the nation in overdose deaths, Um, diabetes, smoking, you name it. West Virginia's got it going on. But all of these things are magnified. But also the other issue is that the pandemic is robbing us from paying attention to these other issues. So, you know, the pandemic has sucked all the oxygen out of the room. It's taken away all the light. And when you take away oxygen and light, things begin to ferment, you know? So we're we're watching these underlying health issues begin to ferment. And uh, these will be major, major issues. They were before the pandemic. They'll get worse during the pandemic. And so having someone with a preventive medicine background 
is going to be absolutely essential to help people understand what health really is and where we need to focus our attention. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was, I was the public health emergency officer at at Hanscom for three years. And so it definitely gives, gives us a different lens to see how everything is uh, unraveling. I'm like, we prepared for this. I, I, I think I know what we should be doing right now, but we're not doing it. So I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. What are some of the, I'm glad that you had that experience because it's a really interesting perspective to begin to prepare for things that most people can't begin to imagine. You know, you hear people today talk about the pandemic like it's something that's never happened before. In fact, these are recurring natural phenomena, as you know, just like earthquakes, fires, um, volcanoes, tsunamis. These are all things that recur in nature. And uh, as a public health emergency officer, I'm sure you had training on how to think about that and how these systems that we have are able to respond. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the biggest myths around preventive medicine? I think most people like me did not know much about preventive medicine, to be quite honest with you. We didn't understand what they did. They seem to be a sort of disembodied aspect of medicine. And in in many institutions, like at Madigan Army Medical Center, where I trained, it was in a totally separate building. And when you're in a separate building away from everything else that's happening, I think it's easy to maintain that illusion that preventive medicine is something that other people do off in the corner, you know, sort of in the dark corners of medicine. I wish that preventive medicine was more integrated with clinical medicine. And, you know, we have these things like putting prevention into practice, these kind of guidelines, but the misconception that preventive medicine is only uh, done in offices and in front of computers is a mistake. Getting involved with the community, getting your hands dirty is one of the aspects of preventive medicine I, I wish that more people could see. Another answer to that is one of the ways I like to think about this is, you know, when you have a computer on your screen, you have a lot of icons, you know, about what programs are important. And when we think about medicine, the icons are surgery, medicine, pediatrics. We're one of those programs in preventive medicine that kind of runs in the background <laughs> that you never find out about till it crashes. You're one of the hidden files. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. So I, I wish we could get more icons on the desktop. Yeah. From everything that I'm hearing you talk about, doing the, this public health emergency officer stuff, looking at food supply chains and all of this stuff, I... I from a listener standpoint, right, if this is a pre-med or a medical student listening to this, I haven't heard patient care much from what you're talking about. How much patient care is involved in preventive medicine? Well, under the ACGME, it is a requirement to have at least two full months of patient care uh, during your PGY2 year. Now, so if you want to come into most preventive medicine residencies, it doesn't start with an internship in preventive medicine. It starts with an internship at either a transitional year, surgery, medicine, something else. And then you begin your PGY two year in a preventive medicine program. Even in that PGY two year, you're still expected to have uh, clinical rotations. And that's really important. Things like, you know, a, a general ambulatory medicine clinic rotation is really important. And infectious disease is really important. 
in order for you to be a good physician of any type, it's important to have a strong clinical background. And so, yes, you do. You can do clinical care, but you can do so many other things with preventive medicine other than routine clinical care. Yeah. And actually, some physicians in preventive medicine model their practices with uh, something new, relatively new, I should say, called lifestyle medicine, where you have wellness clinics and see people that way and have a sort of clinical practice that is really focused on wellness rather than the disease identification and treatment model. Yeah, that seems to be growing like a wildfire. Yeah. What does a typical day look like for you? Well, that's one of the beauties and one of the curses is that there is no typical day. So, for example, today I'm talking with you about um, what preventive medicine is, and that's important because we want more people to come into preventive medicine. We don't want it to be a sort of place you go when you can't do something else. Mm. And, uh, you know, we want people who have that burning passion within them to come into this field and to become health strategists for communities and for the nation for that matter. But later on today, I'll be having a residency meeting. Tomorrow, um, I have a quality because I'm a member for a federally qualified health center. Um, Later on this week, uh, I will be doing clinic twice this week, and uh, we'll have a number of other meetings like we're having right now. But I've also written articles. Uh, I wrote a blog recently for the American College of Preventive Medicine. Uh, I, in the last couple of months, I've had an article that was published in um, the journal The Atlantic. And so being able to be a voice for issues that are happening in your community, and these are issues that happen not only in West Virginia, but they're rural type of issues. And so I end up talking about rural health quite a bit, um, talking about the opioid crisis. And of course, I like to talk a lot about is the adverse childhood experiences study which is, I think, a seminal piece of information that a lot of people don't recognize. They go, oh, yeah, oh, there's things that That's happen the, to kids. That's the ACEs? Don't really- is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about ACEs, right? Yeah. Uh, it, the, um, the Journal of, um, what is it? The American Journal of Preventive Medicine recently had an article highlighting its most prominent and uh, changing articles that it's ever published and rated ACEs as their top of all time. Because it, a lot of people don't understand what happens to you during childhood has lifelong impacts. People with a score of a six or more, a score of six or more, you know, are you know, 40,800% more likely to use injection drugs, 40 times more likely to use injection drugs, and and will live on average 20 years less. That's a really sort of really powerful thing. And so there's this graded response with ACEs over time. The point is, is that uh, ACEs are are one of the many things that I talk about in my my day-to-day. I get asked to speak around the state, and in fact, I've worked with the Maryland Department of Health and and others uh, around ACEs. So there, when you ask me what my typical day looks like, there's really not a typical day. Yeah. And, and it's kind of fun in that way because I go on all these different adventures. And that's really kind of been one of the funny things. I like to tell people that I'm the Forrest Gump of public health. <laughs> I, I, end up, I end up showing up at different places at different times and, and, you know, with these sort of major events that are happening. So, for example, when I was in the military, uh, I was in Japan. 
on 3-11-2011 when the Great Tohoku earthquake hit, the 9.0 earthquake, and lived through that, and then uh, lived through the consequences of the Fukushima nuclear power plant meltdown while overseeing Army public health in the Pacific. Wow. So it's, it was a real adventure to do that, and then to arrive in West Virginia at the height of the injection drug use crisis uh, and be involved with projects and, you know, being in national media, you know, I never dreamed I would be in the New York times or on CNN twice or something like that. So <laughs> these are, these are some of the untypical things that can happen to you if you're interested in preventive medicine and you have a curiosity and want to get involved with things. Yeah. And that's, if it, it, that's what I want people to take away from this. You know, preventive medicine can be very interesting. Yeah. You can be, um, a health officer in a local health department, but that can lead to all kinds of really interesting things. If you're willing to go outside your office and get your hands dirty and meet people and kind of bring all the resources together that you need to tackle really meaty public health issues. It's interesting. I, I read a lot of personal statements and talk to a lot of pre-med students who, how they write about what they want to affect as a physician like just lines up perfectly with preventive medicine and yet no one knows what it is. They, they think I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to be an internist. I'm going to be a family practice doc, a pediatrician, whatever it is. And they're like, I'm going to go change the world and change my community. And I'm like, mm, one, one-to-one is very hard to change the world and change the community. And, and so it's, it's interesting that, that preventive medicine while physicians can go out and do those things, nobody thinks about preventive medicine right off the bat. How do we how do we get that besides doing a podcast like this? How do we get that message out there more for for students who do have those big aspirations of of changing the world, changing their community, whatever that may be to to go out and find preventive medicine and, and do that? Well, that is a great question. And I agree with you that a podcast like this to reach out to medical students is really important. Because so much attention is paid to clinical care, it's really hard to uh, compete for attention, I think, against things that are well-established. Because if, if somebody asks me, what's your elevator speech for preventive medicine? That's really hard to do. When you talk about being an internist, well, I take care of adults. I do everything with the medical care of adults. It's a really easy thing, and most people understand internal medicine. If you're a surgeon, people understand that. Preventive medicine suffers from a little bit, I think, of an identity crisis. It's exactly what we do, and how do you explain that to people? And that's something I've had um, conversations with folks at the American College of Preventive Medicine about as recently as a couple of months ago. Yeah. And so getting out there and being able to talk about yourself and there's two ways, you know, people talk about themselves. There are people who do it from a narcissistic perspective that they want to promote themselves and things like that. And I think that goes against the grain of many physicians who feel that they just got to put their nose down to the grindstone. They don't want to self-promote and self-advertise because they see it as sort of being egotistic. Mm. On the other hand, if you don't get out in front and start to talk about what you do, people are never going to figure it out what you do. Some of the things I just told you now were for the benefit of people listening. Yes, you can talk to national media sources. You can learn about risk communication. You can get involved in big media issues um, around 
natural disasters and man-made disasters and about populations. But it's hard to do from uh, an office where you're expected to see a patient every 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. What does call look like as a preventive medicine physician? Do you have call? Is there Are there preventive medicine emergencies? Well, we're in the middle of one right now. Yep. So the pandemic is absolutely an emergency. So I can tell you from several different perspectives that a call, there is not a traditional call. You're not on one every three or every four or every six uh, where you're sharing it with your partners. You're either on or you're off. And so for a public health crisis like this, you are on all the time. There is no off time, really. Now, that doesn't mean you're up 24 hours a day or that you're, you know, dragged into the middle of the ICU. But things happen, you know, unpredictably, and you need to be able to respond to those things. The last time I was involved, other than the pandemic, was in 2016 here in um, Kanawha County, West Virginia. We had a major flood, a thousand-year flood. Uh, that sent people out of their homes. Uh, we had to open a, um, a shelter in a high school gymnasium. This is the first time that that's ever been done in this county. So uh, I was on all the time during that entire crisis. You know, I was sleeping three or four hours a night and then getting up the next day and going out and beating the streets. And then, of course, it tapers off over time as other organizations jump in. But, you know, some really important decisions need to be made really early on. Same way with the pandemic. You have to be able to respond really right away. Um, but in terms of other kinds of call, no. You're, most of the time, you're with your family. It's a very family-friendly kind of specialty of medicine. It's very, very fulfilling. And you can do a lot of other things on the side. It's not one of the better-paying parts of <laughs> medicine, but it is in tremendously gratifying. And you talked early on about, or, or a little bit earlier, about the idealism that many physicians have, that they want to do something that changes the world. One of the ways to do that is through your examination room, and, you know, but people feel the joy squeezed out of them in those kind of settings when they're forced to see people every 15 or 20 minutes. You know, that there's a there's a French saying that even the best meals are unpalatable when we're forced to eat them. <laughs> Where, whereas when you, in preventive medicine, you have this ability to kind of do all these things, and many of them are at your choosing, not being chosen for you by somebody else. Yeah. You talked a little bit about the training pathway to become a preventive medicine specialist. You talk about the prelim year, whether that's transitional surgery or, or internal medicine. And then it, how many years after that prelim year is, is it to become uh, a preventive medicine specialist? After the internship year, there are two more years of training. Okay. Uh, the first, the PGY2 year is really more clinically focused, but you begin to transition then into more population health um, and preventive medicine uh, responsibilities. When uh, you catch your PGY three year, you're expected to do rotations with a local health department and uh, in our case with the state health department as well. So having that broader background and then doing other rotations to get involved in other sorts of projects. So two years after the internship year, and then doing all the board prep to sit for the American Board of Preventive Medicine's um, 
examination, which is, you know, a comprehensive examination as it is in many other specialties. Yeah. For the future primary care doc listening to this, whether they're pediatrician, internal family, what do you wish they knew about preventive medicine to, to help them uh, help you and, and help you do a better job? Right now, I would tell the person who is in a, a primary care residency that you need to become a good uh, physician, just a good clinician overall. That will help you as a preventive medicine physician. But many primary care physicians will find themselves soon frustrated, I think, by the grind, by the administrative responsibilities of being a physician. And these are all things that have to do with a compassion fatigue and burnout. If you still have that flame within you, and I think most physicians do, of really wanting to change the world around you, stop and think you have another pathway. You are not trapped into primary care. You can go out and take a step back and and do a preventive medicine residency. That's exactly what I did. After 10 years in the military, I was able to do a preventive medicine residency. Now, I had an advantage in that I got still paid at the time as a lieutenant colonel, uh, (laughs) which is is pretty decent pay. And I didn't have to take a financial hit. But this avenue is still open for you anytime throughout your career. So if you find yourself reaching that point where this is not what you set out to do or this was not the original reason you came into medicine in the first place, take a step back. Preventive medicine is always here for you, and I would offer it to you as a, another pathway in your career. And I think you, you will find it immensely rewarding. What do you like the most about being a preventive medicine specialist? Oh, I think what I said before, just that every day is different, that I've gotten to do so many different things, be involved with so many different kinds of activities, um, everywhere from addressing the opioid crisis to a nuclear power plant meltdown to a flood, to just trying to make a community better overall. The opportunity of being curious about something like mindfulness meditation as a way for overall health and well-being for myself and for communities at large. And, you know, like we talked about before we came on air, that the opportunity to work with, you know, college athletes, division one athletes, and give them a life skill that hopefully will help them with their performance, but also with their daily lives, with their relationships, with their studies and things like that. Those are the things I think that are just tremendously rewarding. And that's what I enjoy Uh, most about preventive medicine. You you know, at the end of the day, it's not about the paycheck for me. It's about the ability to kind of have a fulfilling life. And and I can't imagine really how lucky I got. I kind of fell into this rather than walked into this with eyes wide open. I really didn't know what I didn't know at the time I came into preventive medicine. And once I got in there, I saw that there were so many open doors. and, And that's what I would tell you is that you don't have to be trapped into a career that you just don't find fulfilling. There is a better life for you. And, and preventive medicine is one of those ways to a better life. What do you like the least? Well, the pay. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not as much as other specialties. Uh, when you're a local uh, health officer, which I was at one point, you can get caught up in politics. And uh, 
you know, you're dealing with elected representatives. Um, and I think you see this on the faces of Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks when they're standing there in the coronavirus uh, task force teams. Uh, you, you see the exasperation on their faces <laughs> at times. And um, they, they're very polite. But, you you know, nonverbal communication is 80 percent of communication. And they say a different they speak a different language when they're in front of the microphone. Uh, that can be very, very frustrating, I think, times when, especially in times like now when expertise in science is called into question and when you're, where you see a lot of uh, conspiracy theories and having to bat those down. That was one of the other frustrating things, too, is, uh, you know, here in West Virginia, we have some of the strongest vaccination laws in the country. In fact, we do better with school children than any other state in the United States. Believe it or not, uh, West Virginia and Mississippi have the two strongest uh, vaccination laws, but the anti-vaxxer community spewing out misinformation and, you know, really uh, getting people to do and make uh, really bad decisions is, is one of the frustrating things. Yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of preventive medicine? And, and kind of the, the one thing that stuck in my mind earlier was you, you talked about the hope for a fellowship so we can get potentially more people in. Do you, do you see a fellowship coming, that whether ACGME approved or, or what? Yes. In fact, had this discussion just in the last month with somebody from ACGME talking about different ways. And there are other ways you can get into preventive medicine other than doing a fellowship. A lot of people who are working as primary care clinicians will work as a local health officer without really any specific training. And some of those experiences can actually help you if you want to sit for the boards later on. You may still need to complete necessary education and didactics toward a master's in public health, which is one of the other advantages I loved about this specialty is the opportunity to go back to school and, and um get a master's but also um getting uh, getting physicians to be able to find other pathways alternative pathways into the specialty so you don't have to make this decision after your internship year although i wish more medical students would think about it coming out of medical school and into their internship year uh, fellowship is another pathway this alternative pathway is, is another way that primary care physicians can go into preventive medicine. But I'm also hoping that more and more uh, physicians will, will just see the value in preventive medicine and that they find it as a personally rewarding alternative for themselves. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a preventive medicine specialist? Without question. Yeah, it's I'm glad that I'm still a practicing internal medicine physician and I enjoy internal medicine. I didn't, I wasn't trying to escape from internal medicine, but I had no idea how rewarding this career would be in preventive medicine. It was without a doubt the best thing I ever did with my life uh, in terms of professional development. And the opportunities that I've had, like I said, Forrest Gump of public health, showing up at really interesting moments in history and being able to have an answer to make a difference. How many physicians have had the opportunity to think about pandemics 
until February of this year in the United States. You know, very few. Again, it's something I'd been doing um, for almost 15 years. Uh, and so this was kind of the the Super Bowl for all the training I had done previously in the military. So it was really very rewarding. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Any last words of wisdom for the student listening to this, whether they're still on their journey to medical school or in medical school or even residency about preventive medicine? Yes. When you see the seduction of clinical medicine, of the big dollar signs around procedures, think that you still have a pathway to do what you want to do to make a difference for your community and think about preventive medicine as one of those pathways into a rewarding career. All right, there you have it. Again, Dr. Michael Brummage, a preventive medicine specialist. Hopefully that was helpful for you, enlightening for you. I think PrevMed, as as we call it in the, the field, uh, PrevMed is a very, very, very underappreciated specialty that has the ability to Number one, be fulfilling for you as a physician. And and number two, have a much bigger impact on the world than potentially you working one-on-one with patients every day. So check it out. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next week here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.